Welcome to Archery Talk 101 podcast, your guide to better archery skills. We'll bring you the latest tips, tricks, and expert advice, but that's not all. We'll also have interviews with top archers and industry professionals and reviews of the latest gear and equipment and much more. Today, we have a special guest on the line with us. Hi, my name is Roy Canterbury. I'm going to be hosted today on Archie Talk 101, and we have Lauren on the line with us. Uh, Lauren, how are you doing today? I'm good, Roy. Can you uh, uh, introduce yourself and tell us something about you? Well, my name is Lauren Cott. I've uh, lived in Gretna for, we moved here in January of 1974, whatever that makes it, pretty close to 50 years. Uh, born and raised uh, on a farm west or east of Hooper, Nebraska. Graduated from Hooper High School, 1969, been a day or two ago. Member of the Hooper Cardinals football team for a couple years. And went to college in Lincoln, University of Nebraska. I joined a uh, ag fraternity down there. And I met guys um, from all over the state of Nebraska, which was pretty cool because a lot of them are outdoorsmen. And uh, when I wasn't, you know, it was kind of the thing, well, whatever you've got at your place, uh, you know, whatever animals, if we was going to go pheasant hunting or duck hunting or whatever, you we just kind of crashed on that guy's parents for that weekend. It might be six, seven of us just showed up at their house uh, needing a couple meals a day and a place to sleep. And and we hunted. And uh, anyway, one of those fellas uh, got me inter introduced into uh, archery. Uh, he had a traditional or traditional, it was an old bear bow at that time. So I got uh, all wound up into that. My first bow was a bear grizzly. I wished I would have kept it. I uh, traded it in as I upgraded through the years and everything. But uh, started bow hunting in, uh, it was either 1971 or 72. Probably went the first four or five years, uh, just, I would say, wandering around, not knowing what I was doing and uh, didn't have any success. And then, you know, as you picked up uh, a few more friends along the way that added some tips and how to do it, uh, uh, you know, success kind of came my way. Then I started uh, killing a few animals and that, that kind of makes it a little more uh, interesting when you're doing that. It's just like fishing, you know, if the fish aren't biting, uh, you know, you can sit there so long, but then that becomes kind of boring. So yeah, uh, it does. <laughs> So anyway, uh, yeah, we, uh, we was, I was with my buddy and we, uh, we took a Thanksgiving trip out to, uh, Western Nebraska on a while. It was a Crescent Lake wildlife refuge really went out there to do some waterfowl hunting. And as we were driving along, uh, one of the marshes, he spotted a, a little spike mule deer or a whitetail buck laying there. And he said, you see that deer? I'm going to sneak around and see if I can't get him. So he we drive the pickup out around the corner a little ways and he gets out and starts sneaking down the edge of the marsh and lo and behold, got an arrow in the thing and, and the thing got up, ran about 40 yards and fell over. And I thought, man, that was just the neatest thing in the world. I got to be part of something like this. So, uh, I bought a bow, I think later that winter and, uh, it's kind of, kind of been going from there. I've never, uh, I don't think I've ever missed an archery season from that day on. Every every fall, I spent quite a few quite a few days out there. the 
the last about 25 years, I got involved with the uh, Nebraska Game and Parks Commission. Uh, their mentored youth archery deer hunt. We take kids from uh, 12 uh, through being a senior in high school. And we've got a couple properties where we're the only, uh, we're the only people out there. So uh, that, that's pretty exclusive to us. Uh, we get to take these, we can take only uh, two at a time. So we set our stands up in sets of three, you know, north wind, south wind, whatever it may be. And then uh, set pretty close. We're, I think our rules say we're within 70 yards of the kids, but usually we're a little bit closer so we can kind of keep an eye on them. But in doing so, we've introduced quite a few kids to, to the sport of bow hunting. And I would tell you the, the moment they shoot their first deer is, uh, pretty, pretty special to these guys. And it's, it's really a joy to be there and share it with them. So. Yeah. Everybody remembers the first deer they, they killed. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, especially this day and age now, these, uh, smartphones, you've got a really good camera with you. I remember we used to buy the disposable 35 millimeters in the first years and we'd click a bunch of pictures and couldn't wait to go take them to Walmart or wherever and get them developed and see if they turned out. But these are, this is pretty nice. We've even get, if you're lucky enough, you can, uh, you know, get the video turned on in time, maybe see some of the action going on. So outside of that, I, I like the fish. I've got uh, five grandkids a granddaughter and four grandsons through uh, a son and a daughter. They're all outdoors people. I, I try to get them. Uh, we go one family uh, for a few days. Uh, we usually go up to South Dakota, the Glacial Lakes area, and take each family up there for three or four days fishing. And uh, that's kind of the high part of the summer. It gets more difficult as these kids get a little older. They're all into baseball and a bunch of you know summer activities and uh but we still try to get that trip in there so and in the winter time i uh i just really love sitting on a frozen bed of ice looking down a eight inch hole and wondering what kind of fish are down there i, I love to ice fish too so i'm still working i've worked uh at the farmer's co-op in in gretna since january of 74 when we moved here uh i worked a couple years and then was uh given the opportunity to be the manager and I did that for 45 years and I passed the gavel a couple of years ago and I said I'll stick around and just be a truck driver but uh coming January of uh, 2024 I'm going to fully retire so I got more time to devote to hobbies so yeah like one thing I, I noticed when my dad retired uh he was busier after he retired than than when he was working I was like never understood it well I'm retired now and I'm busier doing stuff now than I was when I was working. Thank I know a lot of retired people the very same way, Roy. Yeah, the only difference is I'm working on stuff I want to work on for me and 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 not, you know, somebody else. Yeah. Sure. I did uh, last last summer I started a, a a volunteer thing. I think I made new dozen 15 trips. It's a uh, nonprofit organization. And we've got a real nice pontoon boat. I think it's 28 or 30 foot boat, real nice plus seats. And we take uh, people from assisted living, memory units, wounded warriors. Uh, I've been on it once already this spring and we had 
18 people from Nebraska School for the Blind. And we take them out on uh, Lake Wanahoo. Um, might be a boat ride, um, but most of the time we involve a little bit of fishing with them. So that's kind of cool. Those people, you know, when they come out of those uh, assisted living places, they're cooped up all the time. And boy, I tell you what, you get them out into the blue sky and man, they love it. So that that's kind of cool. I like doing that. So. Yeah, I know right where you're at because that's not too far from you, Lake Wanahoo. Yeah. Uh, just just a little stone throw away. Yes, it is. It's pretty handy. So and the nice thing we like about that lake, you know, it's a no wake lake. So we don't have uh, jet skiers and, and big boats throwing wakes up. And some of these people get up on the pontoon, walk around. We don't want anybody to, uh, you know, trip and fall and have any accidents or anything. So, but uh, well, a lot of fun. That not that big a lake that you'd want somebody with no. a speedboat flying on it by the time right, you get up right. to speed or at the next bank <laughs> yeah exactly so and we you know the fishery was uh probably peaked out three or four years ago we we still catch a lot of small crappie it's all catch and release so it really doesn't matter you know the bottom line is we get them some uh some rod action and, and they kind of like that so but uh so anyway, back back to the mentored hunt. That's where I spend probably most of my spare time in the fall. We, you know, I, I would a hunt would be either going out in the morning, uh, sitting two three hours, or in the afternoon two three hours. We count that would be if you did that both. That would be two hunts that day. But most of us will average somewhere between thirty five and fifty or sixty hunts a year with the kids. And so we, we get to spend a lot of time out there. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite a learning thing too. I mean, I can tell you, I've been on just about every possible kind of a blood trail and, uh, yeah, some are, some are successful and some aren't quite so good. Uh, you know, that's, that's part of the, part of being a bow hunter, I guess. So I try to teach them to sit quiet, make an ethical shot and, uh, watch where the animal goes and, and then, the get into field dressing you know okay here's how here's how you're going to do this uh, we help them field dress them and i've even helped uh i do all my own processing i've only ever paid for two deer to be processed in my life everything else i grew up on a farm with home butchering so shoot it's just pretty pretty natural to cut an animal up and uh, it's kind of neat we got two or three of the other mentors to do the same thing and we're constantly, you know, sharing recipes on how'd you do this or how'd you do that. And so we've, we've kind of involved some of the kids in that too. If they're willing to help, well, I'll stand beside them and tell them what a little bit of uh, expertise I know about uh, processing a deer, but you know, that, that way the, they get to enjoy the table fair. the rest of the family gets to enjoy it. So it's not, not just the kill. It's a kind of a total thing. So we involve them in, in putting up tree stands, uh, where we're going to, where we're going to set them and how we're, why we're putting them here, because this might be a South wind or whatever. So it's a, it's a pretty good learning curve. It's kind of neat to see these kids, uh, mature as they go through the program. So they turned out some pretty good bow hunters. We've got uh, a lot of the kids in that program have gone on to wildlife areas. Uh, we've got a couple of them into law enforcement. Um, fisheries biologist, big game biologist. Um, so they're, they're going on forward. In fact, one of the kids that we had, I think he graduated, um, 
out of our program four years ago, works in uh, South Dakota now for Pheasants Forever. He took part in taking kids out up there in a mentored youth turkey hunt. So it's kind of cool to see those kids giving back too. So now kind of fun. If somebody has a kid that you want to, they want to get into that program, how would they get a hold of you to do that? Well, they, first of all, they got to take, you know, it's Nebraska program. So they've got to take uh, Nebraska's bow hunter education course and, you know, pass that. And then we do, uh, when they pass that, the game commission gives them a card. They'll get a postcard in the mail that says, Hey, are you interested in any of these? And they have other hunts in, in, involved with that too but interested in this archery deer hunt. So if they are the fill the thing out, send it in and we will gather these kids up. They have to pass a proficiency test. We make them shoot. They got to have equipment, sharp broadheads, and they got to be able to, you know, put uh, four out of five arrows in a, in a small paper plate. So uh, that, and we don't, it's, it's, we certify them at 10, 15 and 20 yards. Nobody takes a shot longer than 20 yards in this program, including the mentors. It's all about teaching them to get close to the game and be quiet and be able to pull that shot off. So, so, so that's my, how my first, go yeah, ahead. Roy. My first year was at 40 yards and I've never shot one over 20 since then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I set up uh, for 20 wide shots and, and they always come in closer yeah. than that. You know, I shot them at, right. feet, you know, cause that's yeah. to come in they're, they're always coming in yeah. closer than i want i want that 20 yard shot because but you know yeah but it's good to still have that that 40 or 50 yard pin you know once in a while if you get a marginal hit the animal might only run you know go 40 yards and bed back down and if you can you know pull that shot off and get one more arrow in them uh might be the difference between a recovery and not so it's it's good to be able to do those those kind of shots anyway so and you know we're, we're hunting a, a plat and elkhorn river bottom here timber it's it's fairly thick it's it'd be a different story if we were out in the sand hills and the, you know the wild spaces out there trying to then you gotta you gotta be geared up to make some longer shots obviously so that you know and the, a lot of forest areas around here to get a 20 yard shot is not easy even to be able to set up to get one yeah right let, let alone yeah there's you know, it's, uh, I always tell the kids, you know, yeah, it's pretty warm and, you know, we both season starts September one and gosh, I've hunted one afternoon. It was 103 degrees. I, I can remember the sweat running down my back and, uh, still harvested a deer that night. I usually freeze up a couple, three milk jugs and throw them in a cooler in the back of the truck so we can jam them in the body cavity if we do get one. But I said, you know, we haven't educated the deer yet. We got lots of green foliage to hide behind, and this is a this is a good time to get out there and get one. And then, just like that, you're out there in December and you're shivering, and you know <laughs> yeah. any little snap sounds like somebody broke a major log out there. The the sounds are so amplified in that cold. So, yeah, I know I was up in Chisa one time, and the a deer was walking through the reeds, and I thought it was just somebody walking. You know, prime time. In the morning, yeah. walking through walking through the reeds. No, here was a deer, you know, yeah. hundred yards away. You know that, but still, sure. The, these kids are, you know, they'll they'll hear a squirrel behind them, and oh my god, the heart rate goes up, and the uh, they get all pumped up to turn. Then they'll, then they'll tell you the story. I turned around, and it was just a stupid squirrel right behind me there. So, <laughs> but uh, they'll learn, uh, you know, after a little while. I get, I, I'm no expert. I get 
buffaloed by a squirrel once in a while too. So you, you sit there long enough, you want to hear something. And when you hear it, you think it's got to be a deer. So, yeah. And then a deer come walking up all of a sudden it's, it's in front of you. You didn't even hear it walk in. <laughs> you know, I've seen them come in in almost knee deep dry leaves and there they stand. I'm like, how did you get here? I should have heard this, but uh, I finally, uh, this last year I did, uh, I broke down and I, I'm wearing hearing aids. Now I've, there's no doubt I've shot too many blue rocks in my day and uh, didn't wear earplugs. And when we teach, uh, I, I also teach the gun hunter safety class. I tell kids I'm, I'm the prime example of the guy that thought I don't need those earplugs. And, and I said, now, uh, yeah, here you can't hear anything. And it, the hearing aids are nice. So I'm telling you, I've heard things in the woods now this last fall, the first year I had them that I haven't heard for years. So they're, they're okay, but I think you're better off just taking care of your hearing to start with. So, yeah, I know when when I go go to the indoor range, I wear earplugs. I get some custom made earplugs because the normal ones go. just don't seal up my ears good. And I wear headphones, yeah. on top, you know, the earmuffs on top of that. Yeah. So I got both of them on when I'm in the indoors, and, and I'll either put my earplugs in or earmuffs on when I'm outside, use the mower, the tiller, or anything. I I put them on, and you know. I think that's a good idea. You can, you know, you can't, once it's gone, you can't bring it back. So no, I just need to take care, be careful with that stuff. So. Yeah. Nice thing about archery is it's not that loud. That's, you know, that's the neat thing. And, and the um, Nebraska season, gosh, it, it opens September one. And, you know, you, if you want to tie in the January antlerless season, you got almost four and a half months of hunting. You, you can go when you want. If you can't go this weekend, it's open next weekend. We'll get out there and get after it then. And of course, the best time is always the rut, you know, starting about maybe October 20 through the next 30 days or something. But uh, that is nice with this long archery season. So plenty of opportunities to get out there. And, you know, just like you said, you might fire an arrow off and, uh, uh, you know, I've shot one deer and had another one come in two minutes later while I was waiting for that one to, you know, giving it the old 30 minutes to uh, expire thing. So I, I think about four, four times I filled two tags in one night. And uh, one night I had one of my, uh, uh, a little gal that was hunting with me and she was a good bow hunter too. And I shot two and she shot one. And I'm telling you, it was early in the season we had our hands full to get all that meat. It was a school night yet. And it was one o'clock in the morning. And I finally said, Katie, you got to get home. I'll finish this up. One of them happened to be a pretty nice buck. So we were caping him out and it just took forever. So, you know, don't, uh, you don't want to get too crazy knocking too many of them down if you, yeah. <laughs> unless you got facilities to cool them. So. Yeah. Yeah. I know one time I, I, I was on full draw on one, wait for it to step out. And I hear another one coming from behind me the other direction. And so I shot that one, watched it run off, turned around, loaded, loaded an arrow, pulled back and shot the next one. You know, so, yeah. you know, that helps us because it's, it's, it's so quiet. They don't really realize. Uh, yeah. No, it, they you don't. Know, went off. Right. And I've seen them, you know, one will flop down and, and the next one might be walking by and they might want to headbutt it to try to get it, to, you know, to come back up or something. But uh, so yeah, it's a, you know, archery hunting is just, it's something, you know, you get out there and it's really quiet in the woods and you just sit there and soak it all up and, 
uh, air your thoughts out, I guess, is what I call it. So it's kind of neat. So yeah, it, it's kind of kind of neat when you're sitting there, it's quiet, nothing's happening, and all of a sudden you hear this noise, you look over and see a leaf has fallen, and you heard it falling. Yeah, you know that's how exactly. tuned you are into any sound, and yeah. it's just so quiet, and it, it's it, it's an experience that you know if you don't sit in a tree stand, you're not going to have those experiences. You yeah. Know? I, uh, I had one, uh, I've been, um, elk hunting. I started elk hunting when I was 50 and it took me, uh, was it 14 or 15 years to fill a tag archery, of course. So hunted, uh, Idaho. I had a friend that moved out there. So we hunted Idaho the first handful of years, one trip to New Mexico. And then we've been going to Colorado just over the counter tags, but one, uh, one experience out there. And you talk about we'll climb up the mountain in the dark and uh, we, we tree, tree stand hunt them elk, try to find a, a travel trail or something and uh, climbed up in the tree in the dark and just breaking daylight. And I, I heard, you know, the, the crunch, crunch, crunch. And they go, oh, baby, here we go. Here was a big old uh, black bear walk <laughs> into the little clearing and he stopped and he looked right up at me like he knew exactly I was going to be there. And, uh, you know, I'd never have had a bear encounter before. So, uh, anyway, I, uh, I just moon real quiet and he walks right over to the base of my tree and he stands up on his haunches and he's got his two paws on either side of the tree. Like he's going to come up. And so I started, I said, get the hell out of here. I was trying to be quiet, you know, in case something else came. But anyway, he dropped back down and then he turned and he walked away. And just before he left, he turned back and looked at me one more time, like, I'll be back, buddy, or something. But uh, that was a pretty neat experience that day. I probably had more bear in uh, shooting range than I have elk. But uh, you just never know what you might see from that tree stand. So that those were interesting. Uh, usually the first couple days we go uh, on the tree stand, we sit all day. Um, you know, typically go the opener of uh, elk season. So they're not all stirred up yet, but, uh, I didn't think I could do that. But one, one, one time I climbed in the tree stand at a quarter to six in the morning. And I think I got out at five 30 or six o'clock that night. So it's as uh, long as you can see a little bit of game, we had some mule deer come by, I had a bear go by, uh, you, you can kind of keep the interest level up, but, uh, and then the mountains are, you know, that nice pine, fresh air. That's really pretty pleasant sitting. So. Yeah, that's kind of nice when you can sit up there and enjoy the view and, yeah. and still have animals coming by. And, you know, if right. you're sitting there and it was, you know, just sitting over some some crop field and, and no animals yeah. coming by, yeah, that'd be a long, long day. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing with the kids. You know, I try not to get them out too, you know, about a, about a two-hour set, uh, much more than that. And if they don't see any animals, it doesn't take too long to, to burn them out and then they don't want to go again, so yeah they, uh, i would say that the kids of today are not the aggressive hunting kids that we had 20 years ago when i started that program so they were i don't know a little more gung-ho we're gonna go out and kill something so anyway now, now there's there's so many other things that take their attention you know if they're i think not... that's it yeah and then uh you know of course uh everybody's got a smartphone so and i told them i said now more than one time has a smartphone cost somebody a shot at a deer. I said, you keep that thing in your pocket and 
if you want to send a text message that you shot one or something happened, that's fine. But uh, to sit there and be playing games and stuff is is not good strategy when you're bow hunting. So, but uh, they got to learn the hard way. Some of them do. So yeah, because th they'll sneak right up on you, and, and you're on your phone. You look up, oh. and it's like you got your phone in your hand, the deer standing yep. in front of you, and your bow's hanging up. Like, well, you can't I, set the phone down and <laughs> pick up the bow. I've, you've probably had this happen too. I've had it happen a couple, three times. You know, when the rut gets going, I've got my rattling antlers, and I'm clacking away on those things with my bow hung up, and bam, just like that, a buck shows up. You know, and there he is, and you're holding the deer antlers in your hands and uh, can't get the move made to pick the bow up. So they they just appear, I don't know, out of thin air sometimes. So yeah, they they do. They 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 just sneak in on you, and you you can't find them. And other times they make all kinds of rackets. So yeah, you never know. Yeah, they'll yeah when you get a you'll get a small one that maybe you want to pass or something and they'll lollygag around and bed down and get up and just tempt you, you know, nine, nine, 10, 15 times and like get away here. So I don't want to shoot you. I, I had one do that one, a little butt come in and he was, you know, he basically give me lots of shots and, and I'm, I'm not worried about him because he's a good indication if a bigger buck's coming in. Because sure. he's going to turn around and look at it. And then I'm just watching him to see, you know, because he's going to know that deer coming in probably before I do. And, yeah, exactly. And now that he starts looks at it, now then, of course, that butt cut, bigger butt comes in. And he, where'd he be focused? On the little one. You know, not me. But right. He walked off. Nothing come in at that time. But Yeah. Yeah. And you, as you probably know, there's not a smarter animal in the woods than those big old white-tailed does. Oh yeah, and all them snorting, foot stomping things. You know, if they're uh, they're the challenge, you know, to get one of them. And anymore, I've got you know a handful of deer mounts on the wall. And anymore, I'm I'm kind of turned into a meat hunter. I I enjoy fiddling, making different uh, recipes and sausage and deer sticks and what have you. So, uh, not, but I'll still you know. Oh yeah, don't get me wrong. If I have a nice buck come in, we're gonna play him hard. So right. But, uh, but those old does, I'm telling you, I try to tell the kids, you know, don't, don't get, if you get busted in this tree stand, that doe's probably not going to use that, not going to use that trail again for, you know, whatever, two weeks, a month, because there are pretty wise old kids. And I've seen those kids when that doe starts snorting, they, they literally almost jump backwards out of the tree stand because <laughs> they've never heard a snort before. So oh, kind of yeah. a scary thing. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've heard it a few times and oh yeah i've i've heard a lot so yeah pretty much if if a deer catches me in a tree stand i move it i just take the tree stand down and move it because i'm yeah. not gonna use it again um yeah that season it's probably gonna keep look it's gonna keep looking up there and um yeah you know like down at, at gifford farms down there you know those deer are used to looking up in the trees because they've been hunting so much and so they yeah. look up in trees and yeah you know, that, that was I've never hunted there, but I've talked to guys that have. And uh-huh. That was the old adage when I started bow hunting. They said, Well, just get yourself an elevated stand. Deer never look up. Well, guess what? We've educated them a little different. So <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't take long. And so, but but yeah, that's you... that's about 
me and what I do, I guess. So, um, so looking forward to re full retirement. So I got more time to do this. You know, right now we've been out a couple of times, uh, picking up on the old, uh, crappie spawn here. We've got, have got a couple of meals of nice crappies. So, uh, that's always fun in the spring of the year. And then, you know, later on, we'll get up to South Dakota and chase some walleyes. And, now, where are you doing uh, your crappie fishing at? We're over around the Salt Valley Lakes around Lincoln there. So it's, uh, we just, I just, I've been out, I think three times. So I hit it. We went out and a buddy of mine wanted to go a week ago, Friday. And I don't remember that day, but good Lord, we had a long sleeve shirt and a jacket on that. We went out there about 530 in the morning. I literally froze out there. We didn't, we didn't get any fish that day, but uh, we went down a couple nights ago. I had my son and my grandson from Lincoln, and I think we wound up with 13 crappie or something. So, you know, a couple meals. That was pretty good deal. Yeah, that, so. that's a good size. You know, yeah. You know, fortunately around here, we've got lots of lakes around the Omaha Lincoln area. Yeah. And it's, but, you know, we, we need a lot of lakes because we've got a lot of population. So, right. It's, I was surprised the other night how many people were, uh, were out already. So then this weekend will be um, really, you know, the big one, real busy. I, I used to, uh, my dad passed away a couple, about four or five years ago. And uh, I used to take him always on the Monday of Memorial Day weekend when everybody, all the campers were leaving and coming back home. Everybody had, uh, you know, had enough of uh, what, whatever the weather did and screaming kids and this and that. And then me and him would go out on Monday and uh everybody was leaving and we'd pretty much have the lake to ourselves those days so that worked out good but memorial day is always a good time to fish so yeah i know we you know being retired we can kind of go anytime during during the week when i don't have right. something else going on but you know i i prefer to go during the week now instead of weekends because i do everybody's too. You got don't weekends have to, off yeah you don't have to fight the traffic at the boat ramps and just a little more, a uh, little more peaceful out there. So, so what's what's been your most memorable hunt? Oh, probably the, the one elk that I shot. He was just a raghorn bull, but this was uh, this was I think it was year fourteen, fourteen or fifteen. It was uh, season open on Saturday, so I sat. Uh, at this tree stand Saturday morning, Saturday night, nothing. And uh, Sunday morning, it had uh, dawned and nothing again. Probably sat there about two hours. The sun was up. And I looked, uh, I heard something. I looked over my right shoulder and I could see the tips of his antlers coming through the, the, the scrub brush stuff. And he's going to come to a little bit of an open draw. And I've got a tree in front of me and he's going he's gonna to walk behind that tree and I'm going to draw the bow. And everything just went according to plan. And I mean, I had the biggest case of buck fever. I don't know how fast my heart was beating, but it was, it was hammering. I said, I made the comment. I'm surprised I didn't start a rock slide. That's how bad I was shaking. <laughs> and instead of that bull, you know, continuing down the trail, he turned and walked directly away from me. I'm like, are you kidding me? Uh, 14 years, I finally get one in bow range and this is going to happen. Well, then he turned back broadside. I guess I, 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 I don't, you know, like you do a deer, a bat or something like that. And he turned around and I don't even remember pushing the, telling my trigger finger to shoot, but it did. 
and I, I thought I made a terrible shot on him. It was, it was kind of back, but it was really angled good. And, uh, anyway, he, boy, he took off crashing. And I mean, he went over the top of a three inch quakey and just snapped it and rack it to no end. And it was, it was fairly windy that morning. And then I, I didn't hear him anymore. Well, and then like at, uh, 10 o'clock I think this was about nine o'clock in the morning 10 o'clock we always do a radio check we carry walkie-talkies and there was like four of us up there and to see if anybody's got anything and if they need some help so I said yeah I, I got one but I think I made a bad shot so anyway this uh the, one of the guys that helped me a lot um to have some success bow hunting he was hunting with us and I also had uh, my little hunting buddy, Katie, she had, uh, she was out of, she was out of uh, high school into college and she came and joined us for the hunt. So anyway, those two came uh, over and uh, the fourth person was a long ways away. Didn't, couldn't get him in radio. Anyway, we came back and I said, well, here's where he went. Here's that quakey that he snapped off. And and uh so we started and i didn't even notice it but there was blood all over that quakey tree already and the, the thing it only went i don't know probably about 70 75 yards and there he laid and you know that was that was pretty special i just you know you sit there and there's a great big old animal and like wow this is this is great so that would that would have to be the best one so then having two good friends there to you know share the moment and then of course, we, we do the uh, gutless method, I guess you call it, we, you know, bone them out, roll them over and all that. And a couple of great big packs of meat and three, four packs of meat and the antlers. And we got him down the mountain and back to the base camp there where we, we, we stay in a wall tent and uh, we have uh, a generator in a trailer that's got, we make ice so I could get him cooled down and got it was good table fare eating and uh, just everything clicked on that one but like i said it took 14 or 15 years to have that happen so <laughs> yeah that, that but that that would be the best one i've had some a lot of good experiences with kids and uh, but uh, that one would be the best so so what's been uh, your most challenging hunt oh probably the elk other elk i mean i've i've probably passed four or five calf elk up you know when you see them the first day of the hunt you think well we're seeing elk now don't get in a hurry here and uh then doggone it uh, five six seven days later i'm like geez that thing's as big as a big white-tailed buck why didn't i take him and uh you know just knowing the first few years we tried just doing it a foot slow slow stalking stopping and calling and that and uh didn't didn't have a terrible amount of success doing that that would probably be the the, the most challenging thing there just i guess learning learning how to you know how to go about and do it everybody's got their own methods but uh, um, to me the the tree stand method seems to work out pretty good so yeah, if you got a spot where you know you think they're going to come through fairly often, then yeah, yeah the sitting is a whole lot easier on us old guys. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, where where we've hunted in Colorado, we've got a reservoir, so you know there'll be four or five. Not real. They won't be hard trails like you'll see down here in the river bottom where whitetails run. But you, you know you'll have a couple sets of tracks, and 
and get a general idea where they're coming through at. So kind of gets you in the area. And then plus been, I think I've been to that spot maybe 10 times or so. And uh, you start, start knowing about maybe where you're going to see them. So. Yeah. Once you go to an area enough times, you kind of learn it and yeah, know, know where they're There's going. That. Cause they're going to kind of go in the same areas. Yeah. You same general, general things until they're busted or pressured too much or something. So. But uh, yeah, pressure will definitely I, change. Oh yeah. It'll uh, that's what we kind of like to go that opening weekend before they, before they get rousted around too much. The only drawback, you know, it's warm. It's been really warm. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've had to, uh, you know, scurry to get the, if we get an animal down, it's, uh, you know, all hands on deck. Everybody kind of abandons their tree stand and we go help the guy that's got one down, get them, you know, boned out and get your pack frame on as much as you can carry and down the hill we go, so. Yeah, and we've got three or four of you, you know, carrying that whole animal down is going to. That's yeah. I don't, I don't know that I'd ever. I don't know that I'd ever try an elk hunt by myself, unless you know I had a four wheeler or something that I could drive pretty close by. So, but. Uh, but. Uh, yeah, with the whitetail, it's not quite so bad, you know, because. No. And you can no. kind of drag it out by yourself, but it's yeah. a lot of work. But you know, an elk. Yeah, you're not moving up by yourself. No, no. And then especially if it's if it's warm, you gotta you gotta get moving. You know, later on you might be able to bone it and quarter it and hang it or something. But uh, but it's uh, yeah, they're a big animal. I, I was surprised. Uh, I I helped a, a buddy of mine had shot a bull the first year we went out there, and uh, you know we we did that we were boning the one side and went to roll the thing over and good gosh that's about all two of you can do to roll a, a bull over to get on the other side and work him so but uh he here that was another story that i was supposed to go that year and i had a cousin passed away and they asked me to be a pallbearer in the funeral so i i chose not to go i could have drove out by myself and joined him later well my buddy uh said his tree sent up in the same area i would have been in and that's where he <laughs> shot the bull so it's just funny how things go but i'm glad he got it anyway so you know so yeah i know one time buddy and i was going to go out and it was it was a light light misty rain and it was supposed to keep going all day and i really didn't want to go in the rain he wanted to go so I went anyway, because I figured he'd go sit in my tree stand and shoot a deer. So I sat in my sure. tree stand and shot a deer. <laughs> there you go. You know, attracted by uh, mud prints, because there was no blood trail. <laughs> yeah, you got to gotta get on them pretty quick then. So, but, uh, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of neat with these kids. You, you know, they, they don't take that into consideration, you know, what the rain can do to a blood trail. And it's, it's a learning process for them, too, and kind of to see it kind of see them mature and, and pick these pointers up as they go through the four or five years in the program and uh, try to try to turn them out. You know, the biggest issue then, of course, is uh, trying to find uh, a spot, you know, for them to hunt. So, you know, but they, and then that's tough living in Eastern Nebraska, you know, just about everything is uh, taken up. So, but uh yeah, there's a few public hunting places, but you know yeah. they do get a little bit of work. And and those that have a ways to walk in, 
or, or easier because a lot of a lot of them don't want to walk in that far and you know that, right. that you know if you have to walk in for a block and a half two blocks or whatever it is you know where you sure you could set up right there real close or walk in for you know three yeah. or four blocks and or even a half mile and you know it makes it a long drag out but hey if well, that's where the deer are at that's where you got to go right that's right and they always say you got to get off the beaten trail to you know to find them so but, uh... yeah i know like i did uh, i used hunt two rivers a lot when i first started sure and, um, I know you know where that's at. Our, our listeners don't, yep. know that, but it's it's a, a campground as well as there's hunting areas in it. And you know the deer there are used to people. You know because right they're walking around in the campground and there's people there all the time, so they're not as leery of of you being out there. But you know what, sitting in trees down, they still learn they're being hunted. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah they do. That, that's what kind of helps us up by this reservoir where we elk hunt. There's a lot of trout fishermen walk up and down the trail to get there. And, and so I'm not telling you that the elk are used to people, but I think it helps. So if anyway, they, if they so. hear a human walking, you know, they're yeah. used to humans walking. So it's, it, it's not figuring it's a threat. Right. Exactly. So that's, that's always a good thing sometimes and sometimes it's a bad thing right because yeah. they get they get to learn you know what we do and if you do something different you know then then they, they notice that and yeah yeah they get there you know that's how those animals survive out there i mean they they, they gotta be they gotta be a smart and you know they're smarter than humans i guess so yeah, and I know those white-tailed does are boy. They're they're cagey critters. You, you, I always tell the kids if you you can get a big white-tailed doe down, you've just killed the smartest animal in the woods out there. So yeah, it's not only really looking out for themselves, they're looking out for their fawns as well. I, yeah, I remember one yeah, time exactly. I was sitting in a tree stand, and this doe comes walking by with a fawn, and of course, doe and the fawn. I'm gonna let the doe pass. Um, right. It's not like I had to have the deer well the fawn beds down not even 20 yards from my tree stand get a perfect wow. shot and the doe walks off so i'm sitting just huh. watching the doe and and it, later on it come back and then picked up the doe and and left it just left it sitting there you know didn't even know i was there and yeah yeah you know, now if another doe would come from the same way as that one did i'd probably shot it but yeah yeah, we don't let the kids, you know, we tell them don't don't be shooting anything with spots. And the same way, don't shoot the mother if it's got spots, you know, a fawn with it. Let them let them get a little bit of size. There's enough other kind of animals out there to to pick from. So then you then you'll get the occasional kid that's going to shoot a trophy buck the first year that he's a bow hunter. And I'm like, let me tell you something until you get three or four deer under your belt and uh you know how to you know get the the motion of drawing the bow and making the shot without the deer seeing you i suggest you you know shoot whatever comes by so right. we'll, we'll do this we'll do this trophy hunting a little bit later down the road so yeah when when you already have experience shooting them and, and yeah yeah exactly you know, cleaning them we do a we do a summer, we've got a summer archery league for kids down. I've done that for a number of years down here at Shram Park. We got 
couple more guys in our archery club that come down and help. And we get, we set up one, one basic row of targets, a 20 target, little walkthrough course in the, in the woods, just for the kids that are going to be in that men or youth hunt. And then we, we make them like 15 and 20 yard shots and some different angles and ups and downs and uh, all from the ground, of course, but uh, try to keep those kids kind of in polish, you know, for when the season opens. So Right. Now, which archery club are you in? Let's the, uh, it's called the lower plat archery club. We, it's one we put together. Oh gosh. I don't know how many years ago we, a handful of us were going down to Saram park here and shooting the range. And we decided, well, let's make this a little competitive. And then we started keeping score and then the thing grew. I would say at the, at the peak, we probably had 60, 70 members. Now we're probably down to about 20. We, we lost our place for our winter uh, archery league um, for shooting. And, uh, so that kind of hurt a few people dropped off and we've had, uh, for the, probably the last 10 or 12 years, a real, a real big youth gathering too, with that. So we'll, we'll have you know, in the summer, it's not a, you know, a lot of ball games and stuff, but we'll have 12 to 15 kids join us down there at the park for a youth league. We give them some instruction and in that, but in the winter, one we used to do it two nights because we couldn't fit them all in one night. We'd have upwards of 80 kids in two nights in there shooting archery all the way from five-year-olds to teenagers. So we, we tried to put them in different, you know, age groups and classes by uh, talent levels. And that worked out pretty good. But, it you know, it didn't take too long. Uh, um, you know, you put a bow and arrow in a kid's hand. And then if you really want to get them going, put some balloons up, something about magic balloons. When that balloon pops, boy, let's do this again. You know, you can, you can do that and blow up balloons till you're blue in the face that night. So, but yeah, you know, I hope that some of the events, you know, like at the sports center, I go down, sure. I used to do that every year and we'd have balloons yeah. up there. So you almost couldn't miss it. And then I take right. the bitty kids, you know, I got pretty good at aiming the bow for them. So when they let go, you know, they actually popped the balloon and right. it's, it's kind of, kind of weird. I got to where I could almost aim better when I'm holding them than I could myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know they, so uh, much and they, you know, they get so excited when that balloon pops. Yeah. Yeah, they do. I don't know what it is about that pop, but it makes them want to do it again. So yeah, that's kind of fun. I've done that too at the, like the boat sport and travel show and that and you'll get the first the first pass around the kids will come in and shoot and then first thing you know oh, they're back about 20 minutes later and then then about 20 minutes after that they're back again and then like mom and dad are like come on we got to walk the rest of the show and get going here but uh, <laughs> so it's it's de definitely a sport that they want to keep at i guess so well and i've seen some you know, it's like okay they get done and go back get back in the line and just keep going, yeah. keep going to the back of the line and, and keep shooting. I know it. And, you know, and that's what I tell them about, you know, this youth hunt. I said, right here, everybody plays. You know, you might you might be on the football team. You might be on the basketball team. And you got a spot on the bench. But I said, out here, everybody plays. We, we take it uh, so that, you know, if one kid has been out two or three times and somebody hasn't, we even that up and try to get the rest of them out and, and uh, keep them going. So. But uh, and you, we got to dodge football, um, basketball schedules and stuff at school too. So, but we, you know, early in the season when it doesn't get dark till eight thirty, you can you can get a lot of after school hunts done. And right. it's kind of funny. A couple of the kids, I said, well, can you go tomorrow night? 
oh man, my teacher loaded me up with homework. And I said, you know what? I'm going to call them teachers. And I'm going to get this straightened out. And they looked at me like, really? And then I started laughing. So <laughs> I said, no, I probably better not do that. So, but, uh, how you dare you give them all that homework? He's got to go hunting. Yeah. I said, it's deer season for crying out loud. So, you know, gosh, when, when I went to high school in Hooper, you could carry your shotgun in your pickup if you was going to pheasant hunt on the way home. But now you can't even have a bow and arrow on the school grounds unless it's a function or something. So it's kind of a shame the way the world went, but it is what it is. So Yeah. And I remember when I was in high school, I was in high school in the, in the early seventies, I graduated in 73 and uh-huh. you know, all, all of our trucks, they all had gun racks in the back of the trucks. Absolutely. You know, and it wasn't unusual, you know, so I want somebody to have somebody to have the gun in the gun rack and sure. go on the way home and nobody cared. I, you know, we were talking about that at work the other day at noon. I don't know if this is true or not, but somebody said right now it's illegal to even have a gun rack in the back window of a pickup. Do you know anything about that? Is that true? I hadn't, I hadn't heard heard that, but I wouldn't be surprised if somebody sees it and calls in that somebody's got a gun. Oh yeah, <laughs> they have a yeah. gun rack and. Yeah, we did. We still uh, a year ago we did a, a hunter safety class. I was able to use one of the schools yet, and I I told them we want to. We're going to be carrying some, uh, you know, some firearms in there. We're not going to have any live ammunition. Oh, no, that's okay. That's okay. So we, uh, good thing about Gretna schools, we still got to do that. So, but. Yeah. Well, I know um, anyway. when my oldest went to um, Hunter Safety, uh, you went to a, um, a Catholic church a school and the father was teaching it. And he brought his old guns, has got all these pistols in there and. You know, of course, he sure. didn't have any ammo with it just because didn't want to take yeah. a chance. But still, it's like right yeah. there in the school, and and yeah, you know, when, well, when they're paranoid you know, about it, that's when we have the problems. Right. It's it's good for those kids to know uh, to recognize, you know, a firearm and know how to check to see if it's loaded or, or you know what's going on when they're not around. You know, some somebody pulls it out or something, and know a little bit of some safe gun handling stuff. So. Right. You know, like, don't point that muzzle at me. So, but hopefully, yeah, hopefully we've through the years saved a few uh, accidents and lives in, in doing so. So, but, yeah, uh, I know when I, when I, um, you know, had my kids at home, you know, all my guns were in a, in a, a, a plastic case, you know, hard case with a padlock. Yeah. On. Uh, not, yeah. not because I didn't care about my guns. Get my, my kids knew where the key was. They can yeah. use it anytime they want it, except my handgun, because that was in a briefcase that there's only one key for it, and I always kept it on my key ring. But uh, sure. they know where the locks, the key was to get the locks off, but it wasn't locked yeah. because of them. It was locked because I didn't trust their friends. Yeah, yeah, you did. So I didn't know how their friends would, do, if they come across them and open them up and and do them. Yeah, I know when I was, you know, I was, oh geez, before the middle of fifth grade. Uh, my, my neighbor got killed with what should have been an unloaded shotgun was hanging up really? in the guy's house. It was loaded and brought it oh, down no. and ended up killing him. And uh, it, you know, it's like, you, you just gotta be careful. And, uh, I remember I when know. I was, I worked at Bass Pro for a while and, and one summer day, this lady come in with a whole list of different guns. They'd had a fire and there was some fire da- smoke damage, mostly on them. None of them should have been uh been uh-huh. replaced because of just smoke damage just clean them uh but she said sure. i couldn't figure out exactly what they were just by the description she's well in her trunk i want to go look at it 
nice day. You bet I'm going outside. So I went outside. She opens up her trunk and and there's some rifles in there and shotguns. And I picked up the first yeah. one. I think it was a rifle and looked at it. Picked up the shotgun. And of course, what's the first thing you do when you open pick up a gun is you make sure it's clear. Yeah. Well, I open it up, I ejected a live round. Wow. And the safety was off. Oh my God. Loaded shotgun with the safety off on top of about four or five different other guns. Um, and she loaded them up that way. Yeah. Well, her actually, her husband put them in the trunk and she asked him, Are they unloaded? Oh. He said, Yes. Oh. Uh, well, yeah. you know, uh, I think he's got an ear roll that night because I showed her, it's like, and the safety's off. Yeah, you know, that's an accident waiting to happen, and oh, absolutely. I wasn't pointing at her, but it was pointing at the the driver's side in the trunk, so it could have went off. Oh my god! And who knows yeah. who got shot by it? Yeah, yeah. So that's you know, I tell that story happen. a lot. Is you always check for clear, and right. you know, when I was teaching my my oldest about guns, I had my forty four mag, and I'm showing it to her, and she's four or five years old. She couldn't pull the trigger unless I cocked it for her, but I'd hand it the uh -huh. gun, I'd show her how to check for clear, and then hand it back, and I'd open her chat for it, and I'd hand it back to her, and you know, just let her get familiar with it so she wasn't afraid of it. And, sure. you know, I've done that, you know, just get them used to it and, and know what's going on. Right. You know, you teach them what the guns are for, and you don't have to worry about them. You know, I never right. worried about my kids because they were trained. You know, as they got yeah. old enough, you know, they, here, let's look at it and see. And, you know, now yep. I don't worry about them with them because, well, they're all older now. <laughs> right. Yeah. So My, we, we had a young man in one of our classes. This has been one of the early classes we did a good number of years ago. And, you know, we, we get into the muzzleloaders and to show them how to check if a muzzleloader's loaded with a ramrod you know if it doesn't have right. a mark on it you know you kind of put it back to the the nipple where the firing wherever it's going to go and uh so uh the second night he says you ain't gonna believe this but he said we i don't know if it was in his house or his grandfather's house and he whichever house he went and checked they had a gun hanging up over the fireplace and it was an it was an old muzzle loader and they pulled that sucker down and it was it was loaded so he uh, he figured that one out via class, so that right. was good. I said, "Well, he said, what should we do with it?" And I said, "I would if I was you. I don't know how old it is. I don't know what kind of a gun it is. Take it to a take it to a gunsmith, and you know somebody that knows, and they'll get that thing unloaded and make it safe to put back up above the fireplace." So, well, and that's how those you know little stories and incidents. That's how stuff happens. So. You know, if you have something loaded for, you know, self-defense inside, that's one thing. Right. Because that, yeah. you know, that gun is loaded. It's loaded for a reason. You know, it's not yep. just stored. Um, right. You know, that that's one of the exactly. things that you need to, you know, pay attention to is, yeah. you, you know, is it loaded? Is it not loaded? And if it is, you know, why is it? And, so, uh, and you probably know more than I do, but I had a granddaughter that, uh, she shot trap down in link west i only have one granddaughter and she got on the trap team as a i believe a sixth grader they can start it and she shot all the way through her senior year and it's just amazing you know they of course they all have to take hunter hunter education before they're allowed right. on the trap team and that 
but I, I forget what 17, 27, I don't know how many kids go to the state trap shoot at Donovan mm. and how many rounds are shot out there and, you know, knock on wood, never an accident because those kids are safe and they know what they're doing. So, right. You know, my son uh, shot trapping out there one year and yeah, it's amazing. You know, the, these kids that some of them aren't even old enough to drive yet are carrying shotguns around. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody's exactly. like, you don't feel, you know, in a danger. Oh, there's a, yeah. gun. there's a gun here. No, no, nobody's threatened. You know, it's just like, yeah, this is what we do. So it's uh pretty neat so probably wouldn't go over real good in chicago or new york city but uh right out here in the midwest it's kind of the way of life so yeah there's there's lots of guns here in the midwest yes yeah and you know most of them are used for hunting so but uh yeah we we've got all kinds of different things here to do and so I got one more question for you. Um, what other animals sure. have you hunted besides deer and, and elk? Oh, I've been on a couple wild, uh, wild pig hunts. Got a couple of them shot. A, I don't working yet in the spring. I don't get out to do any spring turkey hunting, but I have shot a handful of turkeys and I had my granddaughter uh, has killed a couple, three of them with a shotgun back when she was just old enough to get a permit. And, uh, you know, some small game, I, back in the day, um, working at the co-op, all these, uh, companies that supplied us with goods and stuff. Um, this is back when there was a lot of freebie stuff. You could go on a fishing trip with them, or we did a lot of, uh, game farm pheasant hunts and the, and those were fun. Actually we did, we did, I've probably done four or five wild total wild bird hunts, uh, pheasants up in South Dakota. Uh, pretty some pretty pristine hunting up there so you know pheasants quail um turkeys wild pigs that's about it I, some waterfowl and we did some uh, waterfowling when i was in college but uh, there's only so much time in the fall and bow hunting takes up a bunch of it so i haven't gotten into the waterfowl stuff here i got i got friends that always say hey get a tag and come join us for a day or two and i never get it done so but that's about it kind of not a not a well-versed hunter but you know a little bit of a mix so yeah you know as as i was growing up you know and a kid you know it was you know some of the areas that we used to walk for pheasant has it's all full of houses now yeah yep i grew up i had a real good friend that lived out on the davy corner on highway 77 north of lincoln and he was my uh in my college class and uh we would just take off from his dad's house walking. It was all uh, Osage orange hedgerows. And, and I didn't know what a quail was when I went down there to Lincoln to college because uh, a quail or a grouse, either one, I'd never seen them, you know, growing up up here by Hooper, we had pheasants and that was it. And uh, so we would, we would just take off from this guy's house and we might push up a covey of quail or two and get a rooster or two. He always, he always had a couple bird dogs that we took with us and we could just walk you know, make the big old loop for a couple, three miles and, and walk back. But yeah, that, that locale down there is all changed too. There's a bunch of houses down there now. It's yeah, kind of sad, but you know, it's kind of a good deal. I, as I do take care of our place, we have a fertilizer storage facility up at Elk city, which is up in the Washington County. 
about, well, about 30 miles north of here, I suppose. And uh, I see a lot more pheasants in Washington County, a little more, there's more livestock up there. So there's a little, there's a lot more habitat. You don't have all these housing things. And, and you see some of these crep corners where they got a kind of a worthless corner and they put native grass in it now. And it's a pheasants forever, uh, you know, a little sign hanging there and that. And I've seen a, quite a number of, you know, hens and roosters on the road in the road ditches of spring up there. And boy, it's kind of nice to see. So yeah, they don't necessarily have to get up there and hunt them. I just enjoy seeing them too. And then that and, and where I, where I work at Elk City there, a lot of times I'm working outside in the driveway doing something by the shop and I'll hear quail whistling down in the, in the bottom. So, but uh, kind of neat to hear. I don't ever heard that before I got these hearing aids either. So <laughs> yeah. good deal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's amazing what the, the electronics can do, you know, to help you on your ears. Oh man. It, yeah. Know. Thank good. I, I got to wear reading glasses, but my long range vision is still pretty good. Thank goodness. So I take care of that. that. That was really interesting. The other day, a couple of weeks ago, when we on the, on that boat that live well, go fish, we took the people out from Nebraska school for the blind. And, you know, they always said that when you're, uh, when you're missing one of your senses, the other ones, you know, get extremely sharp and, uh, boy, they do. I mean, those people could remember voices. We, 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 you know, met up with them and, uh, got a life jacket on them. We, there, there, they came walking, walking down through the uh, parking lot with their white canes. And, uh, we got life jackets on them, met them outside the boat ramp then kind of helped them get on the boat one by one. And one of the fellas, uh, I just said, uh, hi, my name's Lauren. Uh, I said, I'm going to hook you up with a life jacket here. And he goes, well, my name's John, Lauren. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I'll, you know, put on, he wound up being in a different boat from me. Two hours later, we're done fishing and uh, we're, we're getting everybody back off the boats and, and he wasn't on my boat, but as we walked up to the shore, I saw him there and I said, John, how'd your morning go? And he said, Lauren, I had the time of my life. Now I had only talked to that guy for 15 or 20 seconds, two hours earlier. He remembered my voice and put my name with it. It's just amazing how sharp those people are. It's uh, and they, they did enjoy the heck we did the casting for them. And then, you know, you'd, you'd hand the reel, rod and reel down to them in their hand. And we were just pulling little tube jigs in on bobbers. And the first, uh, the first boatload, we were out there for two hours. We had nine of the, the people on there and we, we had 65 crappies, believe wow. it or not, all catch and release. And their hands and their sense in their fingers is so sharp. That I think I got a bite. I said, well, yeah, you do. Your bobber's down. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> It, it was a, a learning, you know, boy, I mean, you take care of your eyes. You appreciate it when you got it. Cause you don't know what your, those people are going through without them, but what a great group of people. So. Yeah. That's always interesting when, when you can take somebody like that and uh, you know, no matter yeah. what you know, that the disability is, you know, get them out there and enjoy the outdoors. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I've, I've seen ones where they've set up special, uh, wheelchairs so they can shoot you know the guns or their bows you know crossbows sure. they're all lined up where they have enough mobility that they can line it up but you know they can't walk yeah. so uh, you know yeah that's a wheelchair so to go places i'm not sure i want to walk <laughs> right exactly we had a we had a young man in the mentor youth hunt uh this has been oh i don't know 15 maybe 20 years ago spina bifida and could barely get around, you know, had those uh, 
crutches that attach to your arms and you could kind of hop around. So we tried to make, I set up a ground blind under a, a cedar tree and he couldn't pull a regular bow. So we, we got him a crossbow to use and uh, it took him several, several times hunting. The good thing was his mom always sent this great big sack of either oatmeal raisin or chocolate chip, fresh baked cookies along. So <laughs> that was, that was sweeter than ever. But uh, one night he, he, we finally had a deer came in and uh, you know, finally got used to the blind, I guess. And uh, he got a shot at a, at a deer, but I'm not sure where those crossbows are so fast, didn't follow the arrow, couldn't sure where he hit the thing and when we didn't recover it, which was kind of a heartbreaker. But uh, but yeah, we we would get out there and got a special chair set up in that blind for him. And I made a made a table with a piece of carpet on it with a we got had tripods or a bipod for the crossbow to be able to shoot. And uh, that, that was, you know, he enjoyed it. You know what he did now? He went off to school and uh, he's a gunsmith. So oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he, uh, you know, went on, uh, he finally found that little niche that he wanted to do and pretty sharp. I had him, uh, I had him re I have, I've got an old, uh, uh, Remington 870 that I bought in college. I think I paid $89 for it, a wingmaster. Kmart had them on sale. Everybody in my frat house went and bought one and my barrel was getting kind of bad and he reblued it for me here a couple years ago. So but kind of neat. So. Yeah, I, I managed to get a 870 Wingmaster uh, when I was, you know, been several years ago now when I was working on the base, um, uh, the back gate of the base, there was a pawn shop and I stopped in there one day and, and it's like, made a deal, it's like 125 bucks for the, for the gun and, and the case it was in. And really? I said, can you hold it till I get off work? Because I'm not going to put it in my trunk, the visibility, you know, so the guards at the yeah. back gate can see me loading the shotgun in there and drive on base. So he held it. And I picked uh, it up after I got off work, but yeah, you know, you, you don't take firearms on the, onto the base without notifying no. them. They put it in the armory. Yeah. yeah. I didn't want to do that. He could just hold it. So I paid for it and picked it up after I got off work, but you know, I was 125 yeah. bucks for wing Aster. I don't know what they're running now, but They've got it. You know, I don't know either. They, they've got a cheaper grade that's really, uh, they call them an 870, what is it, Express or Express, something? Express, yeah. yeah. I think they have a couple different grades, but uh, boy, that's been a good old gun over the years. So I still pull it out every once in a while when we go to shoot Blue Rocks just to run a few rounds through it. So, you know, that, I was going to say the, a lot of our kids that uh, go through the mentor program, we've had a pretty good handful. I bet four or five kids every year when they graduate high school wind up going to uh, South Dakota State for uh, college. A couple come out in law enforcement, uh, wildlife management, whatever. But uh, so those kids up there, of course, you know, up there in God's country for pheasants, they all don't take too long to make an acquaintance with somebody where they get invited to go pheasant hunting. And uh, they were telling me the one dorm that they stay in actually has a game cleaning room in the basement. They keep their guns down at the local uh, sheriff's office. They just check them in, check them out, much the same that you did there, Roy, I guess. So, but uh, it's pretty good that, you know, you, you got a state like that that's working with kids that, you know, want to take in the outdoors like that. So, yeah, and it's it's completely different. You know, when I was in high school, I was on a rifle team and, and we shot 22s. And, you know, I was uh -huh. in the first year and when I built Northwest, I went there the second two years. That's where I graduated from. But we had a rifle team. We'd go down in the basement, was the range, and there was an army sure. down there. We'd check out our, our rifles. We all had the same one, you know. We had one uh -huh. assigned to us, and we'd shoot it all the time. And 
Uh, you know, it's yeah. not, I didn't think nothing of it. And yeah, you know, now, now that they've eliminated the 22s, now I think it's air rifles or something they're shooting. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did. I did uh, two years of ROT, Army ROTC in college, and uh, we got to shoot 22s down in the basement of the military, and I think it was called Military and Naval Science Building or something. But uh, yeah, that was kind of fun. So that was right up my alley. So yeah, <laughs> wasn't wasn't the best shot in the world, but it was a lot of fun doing it. So yeah, it, I don't know whether they kinda, still do that or not. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't you know looked into that, but. Uh... You know, high schools are so much different now than when we yeah. were in high school that, you know, there's, yeah. you know, there's, there's always, always change and sometimes for the better and sometimes not. Yeah. That's the way our world goes, I guess. So just, you know, savor those moments when you, you know, the good, I, I always tell kids, I said, you know, uh, you know, if we don't, if we don't recover the animal, I said, well, you know, that's not good but it's, it happens. And I said, so when you do, I had, uh, actually, I took my grandson last year, the one uh, 13 year old who lived in Gretna and he shot, he shot his first deer with a compound. He'd got one the year before with a crossbow, but, uh, not, he's not real big stature wise. And, but he shot one with a compound bow. And, uh, I said, you know, it only went about 40 yards and crumpled up. I said, it's not always going to be this way. <laughs> yeah. You know, I said, savor the moment because, uh, there's going to be some, there's going to be some rocky roads down the line when maybe you don't make that good shot and maybe you don't find the animal and that's, that's not, not good, but it's, it's going to happen, but, uh, you know, enjoy every time that it does go right. So. Yeah. We're all going to have, you know, if you hunt long enough, you're going to have one of those days where you oh, made yeah. a bad shot and, and you might track for yeah. hours and hours and right. not find it and, you know, we've all got yeah. stories like that we can we can tell. Oh yeah, very we've, long. we've been on some all nighters and went back the next morning, and you you just make it wonders where did it go. So, uh, but it happens. Yeah, hope fortunately not a lot. So that's no, no. You know, cause... well, and that's you you learn by your mistakes. You know, if you if you have one of those blunders, and it's like well. You know, don't if you haven't filled the tag and it's late in the season. Once in a while, you start pushing yourself a little bit to take a shot that's maybe not there, and uh, so you learn, learn by your mistakes. So yeah, and that's all I can do is like, okay, I did something wrong on this one. What did I do wrong? And it's like okay, right. I just remember okay, this what this happens. I just don't do this or I do this. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's Be always patient. a good thing. So yeah. Will, uh, what would you um, say to our new archers out there or somebody thinking about getting into archery? Well, I would, if, if you're brand new into it, try to find a friend that's in it already and, uh, you know, have him re, relive some of his experiences with him and, maybe get a little bit of guidance. I mean, there is a ton of tackle out there. You, 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 go, in the, you can go in the archery pro shop to buy a, a bow site and there, there could be 25 different bow sites on the wall. Oh, and you know, where, 
you know, you, or, you know, get, get to a good pro shop and trust them and, and get to know them. So you got some help. You don't have to, you don't have to spend an arm and a leg on, you know, the newest and latest and greatest equipment, but you need something that's going to work. And, you know, maybe you can get into it with some used stuff or, or if you've got a buddy that's been in the bow hunt and he can tell you some of the things that he's done that have worked good and some that maybe hasn't worked quite so good. But uh, to me, it's all about sharing the experience out there. I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not a lone hunter. I'd rather, I'd rather be going with some kids or a buddy or my grandkids or somebody. So when something happens, you got somebody to share the experience with. And then, uh, you, you know, in doing so, you can also, you know, you can learn from it. Like when I started bow hunting, I paid no attention to the wind. I didn't know it. So what? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you what, them white tail noses are pretty damn sharp. Right. And, uh, I, I just, yeah, I, I made, uh, 26 trips the first year from Lincoln down here to Asa. We hunted to right off the back of the guard impact area. A buddy of mine in the fraternity, his uncle farmed that. And he had uh, like 40 acres of timber. I hunted 26 trips that year, sat in the same tree stand every time. Didn't matter what the wind was. I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing. And then uh, one night I finally get some deer coming down a ridge behind me and I had six arrows in my quiver and my first shot, this is with the old uh, bear grizzly instinct. And I wasn't a bad shot. I got second in an intramural thing down there at the university once I was a pretty good instinct shooter, but nobody told me to bend at the waist when you're up in a tree stand. First arrow was about two feet high. And the deer just kept walking by and the next arrow was a little bit lower, but still didn't long story short. I shot all six arrows. The last arrow just about grazed the back of the deer. It was getting closer, but I was out of arrows. Nobody told me you got to bend at the waist when you're shooting from an elevated platform. I didn't know that. So if you, you know, pair up with somebody that knows been there and knows some of this stuff, uh, that's good and, uh, good in more ways than one. Cause they can help you on equipment and tackle and, and spend some time. And again, if you need two guys to throw that big old buck in the back of the pickup, you got an extra helper out there. So I guess that's, that's what I'd tell them. So. I know when, when I had my store, I, I recommend new archers get in at that as PSC dealer, like the Nova bow, which is your, your entry level bow. It's sure, all set up sure. with the set, the site, the rest, uh, the quiver, yeah. um, you know, some sling stabilizer, uh, I went yep. on and set them up with a with a cheap release and and arrows. So yeah, you don't need an expensive one. You don't need the newest, latest one. Uh, in right. fact, my hunting bow is a 2001 PSE. My target really? is a 2003 yeah. PSE. <laughs> yeah, they you were. Know? They still. I mean, if they killed a deer in 2003, why wouldn't they do it now? So, but uh, well, and a lot mine's of think, a, Go ahead. Yeah, a lot of people think you know you need a fast bow. You know, yeah. the bows nowadays aren't much faster. My my 2001 career is rated at 320 feet per second. Really? Yeah. Now, you don't ever yeah, get that out of it, but. Yeah. You, know, you don't need the fast. In fact, the faster the bow and the shorter the bow, the harder it is to shoot. So you better have good form. Yeah. 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 I was going to say that. And then, then you got somebody, if you, you know, pick up a buddy to go with, you got somebody to practice with too. It's uh, it might get to be a little bit of a, you know, well, I should practice tonight, but you know, it's kind of hot out. I'll go tomorrow night. You got a buddy that you're going to do it regularly with on Tuesday and Thursday or something. You get it done. 
and then, you know, a little more gumption to get out there and do it. So, and then it's just, you know, another buddy to go out and scout and set tree stands. And, you know, right now I'm, I got some trail cameras up some different places. And in fact, one spot, the pond dried up, I'm, uh, I'm hauling water out to a couple water barrels that I fill every week for the deer, turkeys, squirrels, raccoons, whatever's out there, whatever's out there drinking, just, uh, try to keep some animals on the property. So, but, uh, so it's fun. Yeah. I like, I like sharing it with somebody and, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy, like I said, with these young kids, the first year bow hunters and then watch them mature as they go. But that, uh, you know, you, you get to meet up with another guy that's your age and you introduce him to hunting. And that first tag that he fills is just a moment of glory. And boy, that's, those those moments are pretty precious so yeah sometimes it's it's more exciting when when you get somebody introduced into it and and now they get their yeah. first year and yeah uh, you know there like you said there's more satisfaction in watching that than if you or i fill a tag so yeah i, I know uh, i i taught a guy how to shoot his very got his first bow um he didn't go with the the entry level and he went with a high-end bow and I taught him how to shoot because when I when I have my store, you buy a bow from me, I'm going to teach you how to shoot. That's just included sure. with all bows. Yeah. Whether it's a new one, used one, high end, low end, I'm going to teach you how uh -huh. to shoot. And he comes back in um, two weeks after he got the bow with his first Robin Hood. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Two two weeks later, it's like, oh, that's yeah, cool. That man. that kind of is more exciting than all of my half, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have that happen once in a while with the kids league too. They'll get a Robin Hood, and uh, yeah, they're uh, they're pretty pretty pumped about that. We put them up on the when we when we did have a place, we put all those Robin Hoods up on the wall and put their name on it. So yeah, name and date, and you know that, yep, that's kind of special. I didn't do that with a lot of mine, but I did with my son when he got one. You know, here's the date, yeah. you know, his name and the date that he got it, and um, yep. it's. Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting. And whenever I'd see somebody do that, it's like, hey, you know, date yeah. it, and put your name on it and date it. And it's a trophy. Any, anymore, you, you you hate to shoot too many arrows at one target at the price of arrows. And especially like broad, my, I try not to shoot more than one or two uh, broadheads at a target at a time. But, you know, verbally, if you're, my luck is I usually whack the other arrow and cut the veins off of it or scuff it or do something so yeah and then you then you kind of have to depend on how bad you hit it you know with the car yeah, if you yeah. slice it now then it's it's done and yep yeah i quit shooting yeah. single spots i i know i got two robin hoods when i was at cabela's um one was setting up a guy's drop away rest and you got to shoot them to make sure they're set up and i go out yeah. there and take two shots and stuck two of them together and another one the boat they got in uh, I forget who made it, but it was a Cabela's branded one. And we yeah. set it up. I take two shots, stick two, two arrows together. We set up for one of the other guys. He puts one inch circles down there, hits five out of the six arrows. We set up for a third guy. Wow. And then the hunting manager comes in and says, oh, we got to pull these. There's a problem with these bows. And we looked at each other and says, I don't know how to set one really? up. And we had two more. And I said, well, let's let's set those two up. And he says, no. So I ended up recalling them and then coming back. And I was like, uh, either we had a good one or we just know how to set them up uh <laughs> well when, when you have stores like Castro, cabela's yeah. you know, all those other sure. you know box stores if you have yeah. somebody 
that knows what they're doing, it's not normal. You know, you go to right. the pro shops that deals with that's their thing as archery. Uh, yeah. You know, you're more likely going to have somebody that knows what's going on. Either they've been doing it a yeah. long time, they've been to school. Yeah, I, I, I kind of trust trust them for whatever something goes wrong or something. I mean, I can I can set my sight pins and do this and that and change the draw length on my grandson's bow and stuff like that. But anything real technical, I rely on those guys. So that's what they're there for. Yeah, and some of these new bows, I can't I can't work on because I can't press uh, them exactly. You know, yeah. I, I had one of the new ones uh, I looked at for guys, you know, put a, a string on it and, and he's going to have to take the string off. He has to do it. You know, my old yeah. Apple press won't do those even close. And I had a portable bow press yeah. that I been able to use, but those limbs bent so far past parallel that I couldn't even put uh -huh. my, my jig on it to, to do them on a, just a hand press. Yeah. You know, and, yeah, and you hate like, to, hate I to can't, bust somebody's equipment for them too you know yeah it's not i it's it's not going to be safe to try and use this jig on it and yeah you know, all you gotta do is release the pressure and you can take the uh the strings off and change them uh, uh -huh. you know i i do that every once in a while because i've been making sure. strings since 2001 and so i just make all my strings i got all the material and stuff you know i could probably uh -huh. make a string every week for my bow and never run out of string material. So I don't have my <laughs> serving material, but the string material, yeah. I got lots of it, you know, oh, wise, I got yeah. tons of different colors and. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of fun tinkering with that stuff too. And doing that. I, I don't do anything with string, but I, I wrap and vein my own arrows up. So if I, I've, I've got, you know, shoot, some arrows have been through, I don't know how many critters, if they don't get, uh, they don't get bent. I, you know, wipe the blood off of them, revein them, fresh broadhead, knock whatever they might need, and we're ready to go again. So, yeah, that's that's, that's the nice you know, that's the thing about yourself. Yeah, you know, that's you know, like a a firearm. Once the shell's out, you can't hardly shoot a second deer with it. But uh, an old bow and arrow, but you can get a couple numerous kills with one arrow. So, yeah, unless you're a long, long ways away, you shoot that gun. They're going to be gone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So. Well, it's been great talking with you. Um, well, you too, Roy. So, you know, I think as outdoors, outdoors people can always sit and chew the fat, so to say, spin the yarn, whatever. I mean, every, everybody's got a bazillion stories, uh, especially when you get to be an old guy like me that's been around a while and done some things wrong and had some success and there's just a bazillion stories involved and always fun to share so yeah and, and that's why i like doing this podcast you know that because i get to talk to people all over the world i've uh, sure. you know, I've said this a couple of times i've talked to guys in serbia um south africa um, of course uh -huh. canada and the united states and i have yeah. one coming up for those watch out for it because this guy is in uh italy does not speak English. It's going to have a translator. So we're going to talk through a translator. Oh. And, and it's like, that'd be interesting. You know, I'm kind of looking forward to that one. You know, it's, we're talking to somebody don't speak English and we're translating it. So, you know, asking questions and then translate to it and, and go yeah. back and forth. And, and and I think it'd be real interesting because, you know, when I've talked to people in other countries, the same thing, you know, the, the, there's, there's no difference in it. An archer is an archer worldwide. We're automatic yeah. friends. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to say, you know, if you have a bow in your hand and another archer comes up, 
he's your buddy. <laughs> you ain't yeah, know, yeah. You don't, may not know him yet. But... <laughs> yeah, they'll compare notes. Uh, yeah, sure enough. So. And, and we're all willing to help each other out. Um, I know in '95 yeah. I become an archery instructor. I uh, so I've been teaching quite a while, and I put my instructor patch on my 3D rig, figuring if anybody's interested, they can see the patch. Say I'm an instructor, sure. and then sure. you know ask me. You know, because I I don't I don't go around saying, "Hey, uh, you're doing that wrong." Uh, yeah no i you know it, it that's not either. the way to do it you know if, if you're interested in learning yeah. you'll come up to me or <laughs> yeah you know when i had I mean, we I do that with stores do I, that I, with kids you know you try to teach them the, the basic form and that and if they get a little off kilter with it or something you know you you don't really yank on them and say hey you know but hey this might work better if you want to try it this way here so kind of but I've, I've, I don't think I've ever run into anybody in the archery world that isn't friendly and wants to talk and uh, just share the experiences with. They're, they're definitely a, a rare breed, bow hunters, right. so archers. You know, even though we're competing against each other, you know, we're still yeah. helping each other improve. And Oh, absolutely. And it's you know, unlike most other sports you know you're not going to help your competitor beat you no. for an archery it's it's not unusual for you know two people yeah. competing and you know helping each other out yep and i, I always watch them shake hands when they're all done win or win lose or draw so you know yeah i know thing about it so but a buddy and i we used to go to the 3d shoots and uh um we, we could come in last and next to last we didn't care because it was who beat who yeah, you know, one week yeah. he'd win, one week I'd win, and you know, it's just yep. who who got to give give the crap and who got to take it, you know, on the way home. Yeah, yeah. You know, next week it was yeah. different. <laughs> <laughs> Good enough. So, well, we've been we've been talking for a while, and it's been a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah. I'm gonna let you go, and it's been great having you on the show. Well, I'm I sure appreciate you. Yep. Good enough. Think, think I, uh, how we live so close. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ithaca is not that far away. So no. uh, I appreciate the opportunity, Roy. So good good visiting with you. So yeah. And good and luck down days, the road. We're we're only what are we in here? May, June, July, August. We're only we're only 90 days out almost from a uh, bow season starting up here again. So uh yeah, that, yeah. that's quick. Check I better get my, my bow ready to go. <laughs> check those trail cameras and you know get the get the creeks out of the tree stands paint up the rusty spots so the paint scent's gone and we'll yeah <laughs> we'll be at it so anyhow so all right sir yeah we'll, we'll talk to you later my, thank you roy we'll see yeah. you have a good day bye my name is roy canterbury and i'm your host stan arch talk 101 and we'll see you next week <laughs>